0: This is the First Emanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Good to see all of you. This is it. Give yourself a round of applause. You made it through 22 chapters. Not yet. Almost, not yet. See if you can hang in there yet. One more session. My goodness. Um, it's been It has been a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, so I'm gonna give you, you know we talked a while ago about the Beatitudes, the seven Beatitudes that are found in the book of Revelation and we never really jumped on it too much so I just printed them off for you and where they're located. So, you know, Jesus had the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. These aren't, these aren't the exact same, obviously, but nonetheless. They are Beatitudes. Morning. There we go. All right. So let's pray and then we'll look at our Beatitudes, huh? Lord, thank you for uh, this day. Um, We just pray that as we open your word, as you speak to us, that we would have those ears that hear. As we get to the closing of the book of Revelation, you give such wonderful encouragement, and we just pray that we would find our joy, our peace, our anticipation in these words, amen. All right, seven Beatitudes. Uh, Revelation 1-3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. So the wonderful blessing is being able to hear the word of God and believe it. Uh, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. So to get to the second one, we got to go more than halfway through the book, right? We get to chapter 14. And really the, the idea is Um, two things when you die you get to go to heaven but how important it is that we leave a legacy a spiritual legacy right? the third one is from Revelation 16 15 look I come like a thief blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed Um, So that one's about preparation, about being ready. Number four, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 9. So it's by the gift of the Holy Spirit that we come to faith. From Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Remember we talked about that couple weeks ago first resurrection coming to faith the second death which is hell has no power over them but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years and again the thousand years was representative of that time here on on earth until Jesus comes back Um, you know we we are the ones who are reigning with Christ now doesn't seem like we're reigning though does it no, we seem, we, we, we seem a little bit like Tsar Nicholas when the Bolshevik Revolution came, right? And took them all away, right? Um, the, the last two we're gonna to see today from Revelation 22, 7. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. And then just a few verses later, 22 verses 12 to 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life And may go through the gates into the city. So, that one is uh, again about eternal life. So, good? Good. I promise that to you, and I'm glad I remembered it yesterday. You people don't have a problem remembering things, but I do. So, all right. Chapter 22, this is it, man. This is the garden restored. When you read through, it's, it's l- like a lot of reference to the Garden of Eden. You know, that place where God intentionally put us, where he desired us to be. And so we're going to take a look at that. We're going to cut it um, in half today. Uh, the, the first through... A fifth verses of chapter 22. We'll read and then we'll discuss. Is that fair? Sure. Okay, here we go. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the other side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit, and they will rain forever and ever." Sounds nice and inviting, doesn't it? Who doesn't like rivers and trees and leaves? Isn't that good? We need leaves, don't we? Here we are in, in moving into spring. How many have little crocuses poking their nose out of that? Yeah, my wife said, look, we've got stuff coming out of the ground. I said, as long as it isn't a septic system, we're OK. <laughs> All right, so in these opening verses here, John sees another depiction of the new heaven and the new earth. So he's given us another view of this. So this is uh, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. It doesn't mention, hey, the Garden of Eden, but when you read it, I think it, it brings up to us this closing chapter of Scripture brings into mind, into view, the opening chapters of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God creates everything. In chapter 2, you know, he has the man in the garden and so forth. So there's this beautiful, there's this wonderful um, connection of what what is to come is to restore what once was before sin. So it's kind of neat. you got chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, and that's before there was any sin. And then from Genesis 3 all the way through until chapter 21, 22 of Revelation, you got man struggling with sin and God conquering sin, and then now in chapter 22, it's restoration time. Isn't that a beautiful image? So the bookends are are just great. So, even though Eden's not mentioned, I think it's a great reminder that God's going to restore his good and perfect creation, that ultimately, um, nothing, nothing ultimately is going to um, destroy uh, the Lord's garden. Did I get you guys back here? Yeah, thank you. appreciate that so much. So, verse 1, chapter 22. By this time... Where is the dragon and the beast and the prostitute? They're in hell. They're in that lake of fire doing the backstroke. That was a joke. Chuckle a little bit. Doing the backstroke. Okay. Actually, they probably did a cannonball and that was it. So, then the angel. And this is probably the angel that we met last week, right? One of the seven this is the angel, Um, the angel does what? Shows me this river of the water of life. So this imagery comes up throughout scripture, doesn't it? So in the garden, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, there was a river which watered the garden. And then it became four named rivers, you know, the Euphrates and the Tigris. And, And that's in Genesis chapter two, is it 10, verse 10? It is, Genesis 2, verse 10. It refers to this river in the garden that waters the entire garden. And this, this now is the image that we're getting on this water of life. I think it represents the fact that only God can produce and sustain life, even here on earth. Um, when I was in public high school, we were taught evolution. Maybe you are too. And we were, we were kind of taught, I guess, spontaneous generation. Uh, the idea that, you know, we started with the Big Bang, right? And then after a few billion years, uh, th- th- there was water on the earth. And then from the water came a single cell organism. So you, you have to have this interesting jump. All of a sudden you have, and then the single cell organism, this amoeba, becomes multiple celled and then it's like a tadpole, and then it comes out of the water, and you've got land animals, and then you've got primates, and then you've got usins, right? We're there. But it, there's a huge jump from having water to having a single cell organism. And the law of biogenesis says this. You cannot get life from something that's non-living. It's scientifically impossible. So the big theme these days is follow the science. I like that theme because if you do that with evolution, you can't have evolution. There is no such thing as spontaneity. Life has to engender life. So if I'm a Christian, I would say, well, that's pretty easy to figure out. You know, ours is the God of the living. He formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and then he did what? He breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being. So a living man because of a living God. So my friends who are evolutionary atheists would say, well, then where did your God come from, right? Right? which is interesting. Richard Dawkins, who is like the foremost atheistic evolutionist today, has proposed the theory of um, direct pamspermia, which means aliens seeded the world with single cell organisms, which evolved into you and me. So my question to our friend Dr. Dawkins would be, Where'd your aliens come from? They came from other aliens. Well, where did the other aliens come from? Well, they came from other aliens. Finally, you have to have a super alien who was always there. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So you never heard that one? Oh, it's in in science textbooks now. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad you're not in science class right now? Uh. So, um, in John chapter 4, Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman at a well about water of life, didn't he? So this theme keeps coming up and it's connected with God all the time. This water of life thing is always connected with God. In in a similar scene in, in Ezekiel 47, the opening 12 verses, and also in Zechariah 14.8, there's this imagery of this river of the water of life. You know, (laughs) I was saying to someone, maybe we should study Ezekiel, the end times, next. And someone said, no, we've had revelation. We need to move on. So maybe next year we'll look at the end of the world through the eyes of an Old Testament prophet, right? Maybe we'll do that. So I think really what's going on here, in the new heavens and the new earth, God and the Lamb will be the source of life and sustenance. Perfect life. Okay. Um, this is uh, kind of an interesting tree, this tree of life. And in the Greek, it, it almost sounds like the tree stands between the river and the street, which means it can be seen from either side So what does that all mean? Well, first of all, the tree of life appeared in Genesis 2, verse 9. Remember, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. After Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what needed to be done? Eviction notice, right? Sheriff showed up, pack up, you're out, gone. Why? Because we don't want them to eat from the tree of life because if they do, what will happen? They live forever in an in, in imperfect state. God's not going to allow that to happen. That's God's protection and God's provision. So, um, so Ezekiel 47, I'm going to go back there again, speaks of the end times and it refers to a tree of life as well. Uh, Since this tree in Revelation 22 is located in the middle of the street or between the river and the street, either way it can be looked at, this is, I guess, um, it's a collective sense in in this. It could be multitude of trees. It might be a species of tree. As a matter of fact, the word here is used, I think, more like wood, which would be interesting for my dear friend Dr. Pavola to see what kind of wood they're using here right? He's a woodworking guy. So this, this type of a, a, a presence, a wood, um, and it has 12 kinds of fruit. And when does this fruit appear? Every month. 12 was a big number, wasn't it? 12 tribes, 12 apostles. And we, we mentioned that 12 was probably brought in there because it represents the entirety of those who believe from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, I think the the idea of 12 kinds of fruit is that God will abundantly, generously um, provide uh, everything that's necessary for sustaining life in the new heavens and the new earth. He's he's going to furnish everything that we need. So don't think it's limited to 12 kinds of fruit and that's all you're going to eat right? So bananas and oranges and apples and pomegranates. It's, it's, it's not it. It's a reference to this entirety of God's care and keeping. And, and, and they bear fruit when? Every, Every month. month. There's how many months in a year? 12. Twelve. How many kinds of fruit? Twelve. 12. So on December, when the last fruit has appeared, what happens in January? It goes over. So this is the idea of a continuous eternal place. This isn't going to stop. This is going to keep going. In Genesis chapter 1, God on the fourth day put the, the heavenly bodies in place, right? Sun, moon, stars. And they mark time, don't they? So when the earth rotates once, we call that a day, When the earth goes all the way around the sun once, we call that a year. When the moon makes its way through phases, that's generally a month. And then the year is divided into like four segments, or we call them seasons, winter and spring and summer and fall, and and it just keeps going. Some things have never changed since creation. A day is still a day, a year is still a year, right? A month is a month. The idea of this 12 fruit going month by month is a reminder that A, we have a God of order. Did you ever notice that? We have a creative God, an orderly God, and an eternal God. That's what I'm getting out of this. This is why parents get so frustrated. You know, we were created in God's image, right? And I know the Lutheran uh, catechism defines God's, being in God's image as that God, a man knew God perfectly and was comfortable with his relationship with God and sin disturbed that. I take image of God a hair farther, just a little bit farther. I agree with that, but I add something to that, and I hope I'm not going to be thrown out of the Lutheran church. But... Here's what I add to that. Um, we inherit from our parents some attributes, don't we? That anybody, as you were growing up, did anybody ever say to you, oh, when you do that or say that, you remind me of your mom or you remind me of your dad. Isn't it? I, I, when I at my mom and dads, I always answer the phone and I answer it like my dad. <laughs> I talked to my aunt for 20 minutes and she thought she was talking to my dad. <laughs> And then, and then I thought, how do I get out of this without making her feel foolish and me feel embarrassed? So I slid the phone over to my dad and said, you've been listening, keep going. <laughs> Anybody have that? You do that the way you walk, the way you talk, the, whatever, the way you spend money? You remind me of your mom or your dad? I think, I think, Part of the image of God is we have, we have some of that creative attribute. I think all of us are creative. Some people like are good at woodworking. Some people are good with their hands. Some people are creative with the words they use. Or I go past homes and they're just, oh, they're just finely manicured. They're, they look amazing. You're creative, whether you believe it or not. doesn't mean you have to be artistic, but we're creative people. The other thing is I think we're orderly people. Do you ever walk in? I, I have a friend who uh, is uh, a, a professional. I walk into his office. It's like, ooh, you know, was, there a, was there a tornado in your office? Yeah. Knows where everything is. Knows perfectly where everything is. and uh, Tell me about this. Really? Yeah, it was scary to go in his office. But if you said, I need XYZ, right there, here you go. No, right where it is. This is why parents open the door of their children's rooms and say, good God, because a good God is orderly. (laughs) My oldest daughter was the sloppiest person on the face of the earth. And when you go to her house now, everything is in perfect order. And I, I, I went in to her house, I, and I went back out and I looked at the address. <laughs> this is the right house. This is interesting, yeah. So I, th- this is, I think this is God, again, from Genesis all the way over here to Revelation. I'm the creating God. I'm the God who does all things well. And then, then we have these leaves, these healing leaves, which reminds us that how many leaves are there in a tree? There's lots. And when it's a, when it's a hot day, what do you do? Go sit underneath that tree, right? Remember Jonah wanted to sit under those leaves and the worm ate them all the way? Yeah, so these healing leaves are a reminder for us, no more in heaven, no more pain or problem or trial or trouble, no more disappointment, disa- distress, disaster or death, there, it, none of it. We've got the healing leaves. Everything, everything that we detest on earth is not in heaven. Please I'm just trying to think if I said that to somebody about, you know, they because you know, you think that you know, we have the or or whatever, because God does. Because, like you said you want to step further. And yep. It sounds plausible, but I want like the little nugget to say where you're coming from. Get yeah, because um, I, I take that point only because of observation. Okay. I just look at us as human beings, and, and there's this order. And I look at God. I mean, okay, here you go. Um, grandchildren. It was easier with children. It's harder with grandchildren. So we do, we do the, the grandpa swing. So you put them on, your, and you swing like this. Yay, yay, yay. Isn't that fun? Yay, 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 yay. Put them down. They turn around and say Yay, 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 yay. And then finally, finally one of my daughters will say, "Well, this is fun, but he's probably going to have a heart attack in our house. So, leave grandpa alone. Do it again. God does it again. And again and again." So the crocuses are coming up again and the leaves are going to come out again. And then the leaves are going to turn colors again and they're going to fall again and the snow is going to come again and then the snow is going to melt again and then the crocuses will come up again and God does it over and over and over and over and and the sun comes up in the east Every day, now we're smart enough to know exactly what time it's going to come up, but here's the deal. It comes up. Is it? Over and over and over and over. over. To me, it's a reminder of eternity. It's also a reminder my God is unchanging. So what you're saying is because we are created in the image of God and God is an orderly Yep. We become orderly people. Yeah. Okay. And we've got this, we've got kind of this innate understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? You go to, any, go to any culture of any time, whether that's a very primitive culture or a very advanced culture, and they still have the same basic values. Right? It's wrong to murder, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie. Right? How did that happen? because God created us in his image, and he's this perfect God. Now our, our consciences are imperfect. They're distorted because of sin. We become more concerned about ourselves than God and others. So that's, that's kind of a disturbed conscience. But nonetheless, th- these are some images. This is some of that trace left that we have, yeah. Good question. Verse 3 No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. Now, this is kind of interesting. Nothing will be accursed. The curse is gone. You know, the curse was when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the the world was cursed. To to be cursed means to be distanced from God, to, to receive the repercussions of what it means to be distanced from God. It's not that God whooped up on us. It's that we did it. When we tell our children, when the ball goes in the street, don't run after it because you're going to get hurt. Right? I don't want you hurt. When the ball goes into the street and the child runs after it, the dad does not get on the phone and say, hey, Herb, can you get the Buick out of the garage and run the kid over? No, no. But the kid takes the chance and brings the hurt and pain upon himself as Adam and Eve did. They open that door. Or as the Greeks would say, they open Pandora's box. So, uh, interesting point. All of a sudden, what's on the throne? the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. It sounds like they're seated together here, isn't it? Yeah, this is the center and focus of the new heaven and the new earth. This is the first time that John sees the Lamb on the throne with the Father. Earlier, the Lamb is near the throne but not on the throne. Now he's on the throne. What do you think? Why is he all of a sudden seen on the throne and not just near the throne? Um, My translation says the throne of God of the Lamb will be in the city. So it doesn't say on the throne, it's NIV, 2012. Yeah, um, I kind of like this a little closer to the Greek. It's, It's a combination. The NIV, read it again. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will yeah. serve. So they do it this way, the throne of God and of the Lamb. So you got both of them there. So it, it's, it does follow the Greek. I kind of like this understanding here um, that the throne of God and the Lamb. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it's a signifier that everything's done. Jesus has got it all completed. The Good Friday thing is done. The Easter morning thing is done. Right. The, the devil has been bound along with the beast and the harlot and thrown into the lake of fire. The new heavens and the new earth are there. Ah. What's your Sunday afternoon like? I'd like to know from real people. What's Sunday afternoon like for you? Packer football? football. (laughs) Cooking? Yard work? Go for a walk. 1230, I go home. I take my shoes off. I sit in my chair. And I do nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. There you go. I got everything all done and, and I'm on my feet for like five, six hours and I go home and I sit in my chair. Jesus has everything all done, right? He's been on his cross for like six hours and he's resurrected and he's got everybody in hell that needs to be in hell and everybody in heaven that needs to be in heaven. And now he sits on the throne with the Father, which shows their unity. The Father and I are one. You know, St. Paul talked about the last enemy to be defeated is death, and everything's put under his feet. I also have a footstool or an ottoman or whatever you want to call it, and I put my feet up. Ah, it's delightful. feels so good. And I think that's where Jesus is. It's delightful. Everything is just the way it needs to be. You probably do that for about an hour. I do. I do that for about an hour, maybe 40 minutes, and then we have brunch. That's the first time I eat on Sunday mornings, and then I, then I read. Sunday's a good reading day. Yeah, that's right. And then I'll throw things at the TV because of the Packers. So... So they're on this throne and what's happening? His servants will worship him. Again, the the word really is better translated as slave, but we use the word servant, we talked about that before. So all the residents of the new heaven and the new earth serve and honor the Lord. They once were slaves to sin, now they're slaves to the lamb. Once they served their own sinful purposes, now we serve the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in verse 4, oh, man, they get to see him face to face. Oh, don't you want to see Jesus' face? Don't you? Is it, wouldn't that be cool? So I, I, I was visiting someone who was in just really close to death, and they were in the hospital, and it was on a Wednesday. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I said, I have to go back to church and do Lenten service, but I'm going to come back. And so I drove all the way up from St. Luke's Hospital, did worship, went all the way back down. So we're talking the span of about four hours. So I got there, and I knelt by the bed, and I got really close, and I called the person's name and touched their hand, and they opened their eyes, and they smiled, and then they looked. I said, did I die? <laughs> I said no, and then they smiled again. I think the fear was... Good Lord, I met Jesus, and he looks just like Rosh. This is, this is awful. <laughs> oh, But to get to see Jesus face to face, you could not look at God face to face. In the Old Testament, how many times did people say, I want to see you, and the Lord said, I can't do that or you will die. Imperfection cannot stand absolute perfection. We just couldn't handle it. We get to see him face to face. Psalm 17, verse 15 kind of talks about this. It promises that one day, God's people in righteousness, it says, in righteousness, they'll be able to see God face to face. They'll be able to see his likeness. And finally, that's fulfilled in the, in the new Eden. And his name will be on their foreheads. Now, This isn't a literal kind of thing, but... This conjures up for me the, the idea of baptism, isn't it? We put water on the head and, and you are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, there's, there was two kinds of marking in the book of Revelation. There's the mark of the beast and then there's this mark. So those who on earth had the mark of the beast, which meant they followed um, the ungodly and, and the, the unfaithful, the unbelieving, and they became part of that entourage. And and now they're gone, right? They're in that sulfur lake. They're in hell. But those who are in heaven, oh, they got the name of, they got that name, God's name, written on their foreheads. The forehead always, forehead represents a few things, right? So it's something everyone else can see, right? Unfortunately, some of you don't have as big a forehead. My daughter always says I have a five head. So, yeah. She's not in the will anymore. Um, But other people can see it. And it's also the place of intelligence and wisdom. And wisdom, if you go to the book of Proverbs, wisdom is always related to faith. So, So we've got God's name. We belong to him. And when, when we look at him face to face, it's, it's, we receive his reflection. And then there's going to be no more night in verse 5. Uh, we're not even going to need a, a lamp or the sun because God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, this doesn't physically mean that there's no sun. I don't know, maybe there isn't. But it really kind of echoes... Last week, chapter 21, verses 22 to 25, God and the Lamb are the true spiritual light. The dragon was the one that brought darkness. So, John speaks of, in his writings in Scripture, he talks about that the darkness could not overcome the light. Darkness never overcomes light because darkness is the absence of light, isn't it? Isn't that scientifically? The point? Darkness is the absence of light. So anytime you bring light in, what's stronger, light or dark? It's light. If darkness is the absence of light, then the absence of of God is evil. Evil is the absence of good, and God is the embodiment of good. Yeah, where is the Holy Spirit? Does this guy get shortchanged or what? You know, it's like the Holy Spirit, where is this guy? He's gonna sh- we're gonna find him in a little bit. He's gonna show up. He's been there all along, but he's kinda like the guy that almost works behind the scenes. You know, like it almost seems like you've got God who's the producer and the director and Jesus who's the star, and then you've got the stage manager who's behind, right, working all the scenery and, and, and all of that stuff. Um, but we're going we're gonna to find them. Yeah, good question. So uh, let me go with verse um, 6 and following, six, and 6 to the rest of the book. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So this is kind of what we would call the epilogue. If you read a book and there's a little bit of an epilogue, kind of like, oh, here's kind of a little summary wrap-up. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers of the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. And the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Come. I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Okay. So there is, this is an epilogue. There was a prologue to this book, if you remember in chapter one. In the prologue, we were given the source and the purpose of the message. It was an introductory remark. Now, here in the epilogue uh, is an affirmation of what was revealed. So the prologue said, Here's what's coming, and here's who's bringing it. Then was the message, and now it's kind of like, okay, we told you this was going to happen. It's happened. Pay attention. Um, So the the, the, the epilogue really is is designed to um, enhance or, or to proclaim the authenticity of the work. So verse six, he, same angel probably, he said to me, these words are true, trustworthy and true. So this phrase is is used a lot in this book, have you noticed that? But then Jesus a lot of times said, truly, truly, I say to you. So it emphasizes God's hallmark is truth and not lies. You do not have to sit and work through and discern God's word, it is true. We, we hear this line all the time. You can take him at his word. Take him at his word. It was very refreshing. We're having our kitchen done. The young man who's doing our kitchen, I said, am I supposed to sign a contract or something? And he put his hand out and shook my hand. And he said, you can trust my word and I can trust yours. That's good. Um, God is the absolute truth. You know, we live in a culture that says there's no absolute truths. This book's going to tell you just the opposite. We don't get to make up our own truth. God is absolute truth. Um, He's the source of truth. Jesus is the witness of truth. And the entire prophecy, the book of Revelation is true. So this is the God of the spirits of the prophets. In other words, the God who inspired the prophets to write has inspired John to write. So this whole book that we call the Bible, this little library of 66 books, is true because God inspired it. He breathed it to the writers. And and then it says in in verse 6, he has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Who is this angel? Um, same angel is spoken of in chapter 1 verse 1. We're going to hear again in 22 verse 16. So this kind of reiterates what we said in the opening chapter of Revelation. God the Father is the originator of the message of the book of Revelation which he gives to his son, Jesus, who gave it to this messenger angel, who gave it to John, who gives it to the church. There's a progression here, isn't it? From God the Father to God the Son, to the messenger angel, to the apostle John, to to you and me, to the church. But the, the, the epilogue says you can trust this. There's been nothing lost in the translation. You can trust it. So verse seven, here's the big part of the message. It's the words of Jesus. I'm coming. When? Soon. Coming soon. The end of the world is gonna be either when Jesus comes back or when I die. It's the end of the age for me, right? It's that time, it's the end. So Jesus speaks of his second coming. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And according to your sheet, this is number six of the seven Beatitudes, isn't it? Right? So blessed are... in, In Luke we read, right? Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, live it, embrace it, walk by it. This is what he's saying here. It's one thing to hear the words of the prophecy it's another to heed them. So in verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So he says, I am a witness, and I can testi- testify to this. He's echoing what he said in chapter 1, verse 9 and following. And he fell down to worship. Is this, remember he did that in chapter 19? Remember that? And the angel said, knock it off get up. Is this a second time he's done it? I think it might be that he's bringing to mind before that, you know, it's God's message. He gives it to Jesus. He gives it to the angel. The angel gives it to John. John worships the angel and the angel is saying, no, 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 no. I'm just the messenger. You know, you've heard the, you've heard the line, don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. This is on the other side of that coin. Don't worship me, I'm just the messenger. So I, I think this is, might be a reiteration from, from 19 where John says, I'll tell you what, I was so excited by this. There's a neat statue, I think it's coming down in Boston of Abraham Lincoln. And after Richmond fell, Abraham Lincoln uh, went into Richmond with his son and walked through the streets and many African-Americans who had been freed came and fell before him. The Father Abraham they called him or they called him the new Moses. And, and there's a statue in Boston depicting this. But Lincoln says to the man, stand up. You fall on your knees to no one but the Lord. Neat. I think I think it either came down or they're going to tear the statue down which is kind of Kind of, for, a, for a Lincoln lover like me, that's kind of tragic. Um, yes, ma'am, question. Are there prophets now prophesying in the world? Oh, that's a good question. So do we have prophets today who are prophesying? Um, how about this? You all are prophets. Isn't it interesting? What is, a, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who is going to foretell. And every Sunday we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Every Sunday we say, and who will come again to judge the living and the dead. So that's a prophecy. There's, I say today, those are, we are prophets because we're saying, hey, Jesus came, but he's coming again. I'm proclaiming. There's more proclaimers than there are prophets. So the scriptures, I guess we would use the term, are sealed. So there's going to be no more books. This is it. So in the Old Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was about 400 years of silence. Um, and then the New Testament was written. So everything that needs to be written is right here. What we get to do is proclaim it. And any time we talk about what's about to come, We are prophets because a prophet is one who's been given words by the Lord. So we've been given words by the Lord that he's coming again, um, that there's a heaven, there is a hell, right? That's a great question, yeah. So you are the prophetess. Yeah, yeah. And you know when we prophesy like that, the world isn't really excited about that. And then we think about poor Jeremiah, when people weren't excited about him. Yeah, or Elijah, when, when he battled the prophets of Baal and they wanted to kill him. Right. So we're going to be you know, proclaiming God's word and taint an easy thing. Right. It's a, it's a challenging thing, always has been. Sometimes it's more challenging than at other times. This is one of the challenging times. Um, Let's jump to verse 10. He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. So this is the angel talking to John. For the time is near. So when you write this thing down, don't go put it in your desk drawer and leave it there. This This word's got to get out. It's got to get out to the churches. Don't seal it up. I've given you this because... It needs to be proclaimed. It needs, it needs to be out there. And why? Because this is imminent. It's coming. It's kind of like when, when the, 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 you're in a battle and the, and the captain says, I've got a message. You've got to take it to the front. Okay, I'll take it when I get around to it. No, you've got to go now. This is, we're, in, we're at war, you gotta, you gotta bring it now. That's what's going on here, you gotta bring it now. I had an uncle who fought on the Italian side in the First World War, he would tell stories. He said, I, I've never been mad at anybody. He had a beautiful Italian accent. I'm a mad at a no one. Why do I wanna shoot anybody? I shoot two ducks during the war. <laughs> and then one day they say, here's a message, who wants to be a hero and take it to the front? And I thought, that sounds good. He took the message, made it to a town, they were having a festival, he stayed for a week and figured that the message was probably outdated, so he went home. Italians are lovers, not fighters. Let the evil doer says verse 11, still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy, and let the righteous do right and the holy still be holy. What is it, what's it saying is there's this is so close to the end that there's barely any time for change. So we got to get we got to get moving so that those who can change have enough time. You know, I think the worst thing we want to say is so and so passed away, and I never really got around to dot, dot, dot. Right? Fill in the blank. You know, never had a chance to say how much I appreciate it, or say that I love, or share the word of Jesus. Right? So time is short. Was it my friend, Dr. Kieschnick, would always say, Time is short and hell is hot. We got work to do. So in other words, the time is now or never. So again, we're gonna get to the words of Jesus in 12 and 13. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end. So I'm coming soon, it's another warning. Recompense can also, how many of you have the word reward in your translation? It's it's, It's either way. Um, I like the word reward better than recompense. So I'm going to give to everybody what he's got coming. Okay? If If you don't believe in me and you believe in yourself, all right, I'll give you what you got coming. If you believe in me, I'll give you what you got coming. Eternal life. It's kind of neat in, in um, the chapter of the book Flowing from the Cross, it, the chapter on fixed, which we're going to get to, Dr. Pavla references um, Revelation chapter 20. You know, what book is your name written in? Is it your own book? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Or is it the book of life? So, um, If anybody still wants one of those books, I got a couple if you want to purchase. So... Behold, they're going soon. Um, in, In New Testament Greek, this word usually means a spiritual compensation. So it's in Matthew 6, verse 1. It's in Matthew 10, verses 40 to 42. It's in 1 Corinthians 9, 17 and 18. So here Jesus is giving his followers a reward, but it's not for what they have done. It's for what he has done. The reward is heaven for those who believe in Jesus and trust in his work. And then he refers to himself, this is interesting, Alpha Omega, first, last, beginning and end. So The Father and the Son both claim the title of Alpha and Omega. Jesus and the Father both claim the title beginning and end. Isn't that interesting? Jesus alone claims the title of the first and the last. He does it three times in Revelation. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 22. Holy Spirit's coming. Verse 17, hang on, we got him coming. So the Alpha and the Omega refer to God as beyond all creation. The beginning and the end refers to the God of creation. So Jesus, the active agent in creation through the word of God. The first and the last refers to Jesus as the Lord of the church. So again, the first and the last, so the, the, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, that term, the beginning and end, that term they, that belongs to both Jesus and the Father. First and last only refers to Jesus since he's the one who himself lived, died, and rose for humankind. And then he talks about how blessed, this is the last of the seven Beatitudes, are those who washed their robes. Um, In John 17, John saw those who washed their robes in the blood of the land. Here it's a reminder of that blessing. And these are the people that enter the the city by the gates. You can only get into heaven through the gate. There's no sneaking over the wall. And Jesus said, I am the gate. I'm the door. Yeah. So outside, verse 15, outside the city gates, are the dogs, the sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The dog doesn't refer to a canine. Sometimes we hear people who are scoundrels referred to as dogs. Haven't you heard that? Ah, those dirty dogs. Yeah. Those are outside. If you're not a believer, you're outside. And the outside is where? Hell, there's only two places here, heaven and hell. You know, when Jesus was crucified, where do they crucify him? Outside the city walls, right? Because he was considered cursed. And he was for us, took our curse. So those who don't believe in Jesus, they're outside. So those who believe in Jesus, Jesus took the curse for them. He did it for the world, right? Those who believe in him get credit for what he did. Those who don't say, I can take the curse all by myself. And they do. It's just a long time. Eternity. Uh, The word falsehood. He winds it up. The ones who practice falsehood, that's anything contrary uh, to God is false. Therefore, it's evil. Um, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, And then he said, I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. So, I am the root. Uh, He talked that way about himself in chapter 5, verse 5. That's how he was identified. Which means he's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 11, verse 1. The bright morning star. This represents the brilliant glory of Christ. Angels are referred to as stars in the book of Revelation. Jesus is the bright morning star, it puts him above the angels, more brilliant, more glorified. In Numbers 24, verse 17, Balaam declares how a star would come out of Jacob, who would become the ruling scepter from Israel. So it's, again, a fulfillment of prophecy. So Mrs. Clapham, we found the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. So do you see a unity there? The Spirit and the Bride, Jesus. So the Holy Spirit inspires the writers of Scripture to say, Jesus has come and he's coming again. And so they do an invitation to us. Come. Come to me, all you who are weak and burdened, and I'll give you rest. The Spirit and the bride say, come on. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Or Luther would say, I believe that I cannot, what? Oh, some of you remember this. (laughs) I can't by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, right? But the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, yeah. So the bride and the Spirit say, come on. And those who hear, what? They say, come. Do you see the meeting? Jesus calls us to him and we call Jesus to come back. Jesus calls us to faith and we call him, come on, Jesus, come. We're waiting, we need you. We're longing for the perfect life. And let the one who is thirsty come. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness. They'll be satisfied. And the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Come on. Come. So this 18 is kind of the wrap-up here. 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Two things, don't mess with my word because if you do, if you wanna add to it, have you ever heard of anyone adding to this? Book of Mormon, the Quran? Or people who come up with new theology. That's adding. People who say, well, Jesus died for you, but you gotta do this and this and this. That's adding to the words, right? Man, you get the plagues described in this book. In other words, you're not gonna be in heaven. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, well, Jesus died for you, but you gotta do something that's taking away from Jesus. What happens? Man, you don't, you don't get to be in heaven. Who did Jesus die for? He died for all. For God so loved the that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God would that all men be saved and come to the knowledge right, of the faith, of the truth. But if you don't, Your name's not in that book of life. You're not connected to Jesus. He who testifies to these things, he who delivers these things, he who witnesses to these things, he who originates these things that are written in these 22 chapters has one final concluding thought and word, and it is I'm coming, man. Surely I'm coming. I'm really coming, truly, honestly. You may be waiting a long time. You may be wondering, I'm coming. And the response of the church is what? Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So for the Christian to hear, hey, Jesus is coming again, it's not a threat. It's a promise. <laughs> I think I told you this before. When I was doing my vicarage in Oklahoma, um, my, the house I was renting uh, the backyard butted up to the ball diamond of the public school. It was like Field of Dreams for me, right? So the kids would gather after school and, and I would go out and I would be all-time pitcher, you know, so I'd be the one who would pitch for both teams and, and I would throw and, and the time Billy, Billy's mom said, Billy, come home, it's time for dinner. And, and Billy says, oh man, Vicar, just throw me, throw me one more, I want to hit one more. I said, oh, okay, so you throw and swing and a miss. <laughs> Billy, come home for dinner. Oh, just let, I, let, let me, one more. Swing and a miss. Pretty soon we're going to hear Billy, come home for breakfast. <laughs> and, and I said, you had your two swings, Billy. You got to go. Mom's calling you. And, no, no, I just want to hit one. Oh my goodness. It's going to take forever. I, bear, I almost like held it up for her. And it missed again. Billy, if you don't come home for dinner right now, Jesus is going to throw you in the fire. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I said, Billy, you've got to go home. But Jesus loves you a lot, and he's going to take you to heaven. Just go now before I'm going to be cursed as well. Yeah. So this, this promise of Jesus is, is, is a comfort for us. Yeah. And then the last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, amen, because we're going to need grace to make it until that day. It's only by grace that we made it this far, and it's only by grace that we'll make it all the way. Wow. Now give yourselves a round of applause. You did it. I'm proud of you. Whoo! Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day and God bless.